Awesome. Well, good morning. Welcome to Harvest. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And if you are a first-time guest, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, thank you. If you consider this your church home, um, I want to say hello. It's good to see you all again. Um, we have been in a collection of talks like you just saw on the screens called The Five. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through our core values of a church. And we have five core values that we believe if we would put into practice we would become everything that God has created us to be, called us to be, um, and designed for us to be. And so last week we talked about share, or two weeks ago we talked about share Jesus. Um, last week we talked about what it meant to serve God and people. Um, and this week I want to talk to us about engaging with God. Engaging with God. Now a couple weeks ago um, we spent six weeks talking about hearing from God. Uh, and you can find all of that on our podcast or Spotify account. You can go back and listen to old messages. So this week, instead of exhausting this topic, I want to come at it from a different angle, if that's okay. I'm, we're still going to cover what it looks like to engage with God, but I want to come at it a little bit differently this morning. Last week, I opened up the service or the sermon with um, a question that I think a lot of us have been asked at some point in our lives, what do you want? Jesus asked his disciples, what do you want? But this week I want to ask a question that maybe some of you have answered in your lifetime. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? I remember being really little and um, somebody would always ask me, Trey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And here's my go-to answer. I either wanted to be an NFL quarterback or I wanted to be an NBA shooting guard. Those are my two main goals in life. How did I do? Right? I'm not either of them. Um, I, uh, I wanted to be those things. Let me tell you this. At the age of seven, being a pastor was never on my list of things to be. Being in middle school, being a pastor was never on my list of things to be. And by the way, if any kid under the age of 15 says they want to be a pastor... Yeah, okay. I, I remember what it was like being that time. I remember being like eight or nine years old. You have some kids, I, I've seen it, where they say, I want to be in ministry at eight years old. I'm just like, I know what I was, I was eating ants on the playground at eight years old. Like, there's no way you know exactly what you're called to do at eight years old. Besides the point, I, I didn't want to be a pastor at, at that age. And I really wanted to be, again, in the NBA. I wanted to be, in, or an NFL quarterback. Like, I wanted to do both. Um, or one or the other. And um, my first day of football practice in middle school, we did these things called Oklahoma drills where you lay on your back and there's somebody laying on their back back there. And when the coach blows the whistle, you get up as fast as you can and whoever hits the other one down first wins. It's a senseless drill, but we did it anyways. And it was after that drill, I quit football. Like, I was like, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm not built for this. That drill has created more basketball players than any other drill, I think, in football history. I got done with that drill, and I was like, I'm going to go play basketball. And then I realized I'm on the shorter end of the basketball spectrum, right? Like, I'm 6'2", and then I'm looking at guys who are going D1, and the guys that are going D1 um, are all like 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", can dribble better than me, can shoot better than me. I'm like, okay, well, I just, what do I do now? But... That question, nonetheless, still stuck with me, and 
if you're a young adult in the room, or you're graduating high school, or you're going into college, or you're coming out of college, or maybe you've graduated from college, and you're at a job you don't like, and you're just like, what do I want to be? What do I want to be? And for the people who are older in the room, they've had uh, a lifetime behind them, and, but I'm here to tell you, that question still pertains to you. What do you want to be? As long as there is life ahead of you, you are becoming something. What do you want to be? What do you want to be at when you grow up as you, or as you grow up? And this is still a question throughout my high school and college days that I struggled with. But to be honest, it's a question I still struggle with today. Not, not the pastor side of things, all right? Like, I'm happy where I am. But more, more so along the lines, like, do I want to be my son's basketball coach whenever he obviously starts playing basketball because there's no other choice for him? <laughs> like, do I want to be this? Do I want to be a good dad? Do I want to be a dad? Like, do I want to be a parent? Maybe that's a question you're asked. Do I want to be a grandparent? Do I want to be a good grandparent? What do I want to become when I grow up as I'm growing up? What do I want to be? Do I want to be a teacher for the rest of my life? What do I want to be? Do I want to be in sales for the rest of my life? What do I want to be? Do I want to be in IT for the rest of my life? What do I want to be? Do I want to be a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home parent, guardian, whatever, for the rest of my life? What do I want to be? And I think the reason we wrestle with this question of what do we want to be is because what if we pick the wrong thing? Like, what if we get on the wrong ship and we feel like we have ruined our lives? There feels like it's a lot of pressure. What if we, what if we mess up our lives by choosing and doing the wrong thing, which drives us to an anxious and indecisive state of life? I want to set the record straight before we move on and encourage you with something, but also give a little bit more weight to what we're talking about this morning. I want you guys to understand something. You were created by God to do something significant. You were created by God to do something meaningful, bigger than yourself. You were created to do something that has eternal impact. You were created to do something and be something unique. There's this common phrase that we like to tell our kids or, other, or, or ourselves or our spouse. You're one in a million. That's also very false. You are not one in a million. Understand this. You are one in creation. There has never been anybody like you, nor will there ever be anybody like you to ever walk this planet before Christ returns. You are not one in a million here on this earth. You are one in creation. Since Genesis, somebody like you designed with a purpose that you have been designed for to become all that God has called you to be, nobody else can fill that void except you. And God created you for that space, for that significant role. God created you uniquely for that. You are not one in a million people. You are one in creation. And so if we believe that to be true, should we not be trying to figure out what God has called us to be? You may be sure of what that is or have no idea how to find out, and that's fine. This morning I want to help us start. 
This morning, I want to help you understand something that you have a unique calling by God to make a difference. In the book of Ephesians, which is where we're going to land this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. And, you know, um, in, in this passage, uh, he's been encouraging them. He's been challenging them. And uh, here's what he has to say. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Um, phone swipe there. If not, it'll be on the Sky Bible, the screens for your convenience. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it has to say. If therefore a prisoner for the Lord, or therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what is Paul talking about? Anytime he says, I therefore, anytime, let me, let me help you out. Anytime there is a therefore in the Bible, you stop and pause and figure out what the therefore is there for. So you don't just read from the therefore on. You go, what is the therefore therefore? So you go back. Sometimes we go back and say, well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Like, that's it. That's the ceiling. Sometimes we act like when we're reading the passages, like there's this like invisible wall, like Ephesians 3 is like, let me into Ephesians 4. They continue on. It is a letter. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Here's what, it, here's what Paul is saying to the, to the church of Ephesus. He's praying this prayer. He's writing it out to them. And he is saying, if you believe in Jesus and you step into his plan for your life. I pray that you find the fullness and the strength of God to accomplish everything he has called you to be. And when you accept this calling, here's what, he, here's what he says. It's a famous passage of scripture. It's the verse I claim over my family's life, over this church's life. It says this, once you step into obedience, now unto him, right? Because our job is obedience. His job is the outcome. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can imagine ask for or think of to him be the glory forever and ever and ever amen now therefore this is where we go into in ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 so you've stepped into your calling you've accepted the calling now therefore here's what i encourage you to do now therefore i a prisoner of the Lord. I therefore, so now a prisoner of the goodness of God, someone who is in for the lifelong journey of following Jesus, Paul is urging us so that when we follow Jesus and are recipients of his blessing and favor, here's what I really want to get at this morning. Here's what Ephesians 4 verse 1 says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does Paul mean by this worthy of the calling. We all believe we were created for something significant. Right? We're all on board on that truth right now. We are all on board with the fact that you are not one in a million. You are one in creation. Like God has something specific for your life. What do you want to be? What are you called to be? What is God's calling? What is God's will for my life? And God is saying, I will answer that. But I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What, is, what does he mean by that? How many of you have seen these headlines or heard of these headlines at some point in your life? Teacher is let go for sexual relations with a student. Pastor is let go for sexual relations with a, with a member of the congregation or on his staff or 
you insert the blank. Pastor is let go for um, lack of integrity, money laundering. Like, you fill in the blank. Pastor is let go. Disgraced politician. And then you can fill in the blank with all these, with all these roles in our society. And these headlines make the news. And what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Well, we see these headlines all over. And here's what it means. These headlines wear us out with disgust and make a lot of people skeptics of really anybody in these positions. Once we experience an unhealthy pastor with lack of integrity, and next thing you know, we're really skeptical of the church, period. We're skeptical of all pastors, period. And we have questions, and we want to, the next church we go to, we keep the the pastor or people in, in leadership positions at an arm's distance until we get to this place. And, or maybe you see these headlines, and maybe it was a, a teacher in the school that your kid goes to, and now you question every teacher. You look up who they are. You stalk them on social media. And you, there's this distrust sent out to all of these positions. So why do we become skeptics? Well, the person proved to be unworthy of the position. And when someone has been called too much, there is a higher level of integrity, morale, and character required of them. Not that these people lose their value when they stumble, but the calling, the office, and the position, we understand that it has worth and it has value. The calling has value. So how did these things happen? How do people fall from grace? How do people fall from these positions? How do people fall from these things? Well, really simply put, they weren't attached to the vine, and they weren't actively pursuing Jesus. And when you pursue Jesus, it's hard to pursue anything else. So how do, how do we fall sometimes from the calling? How do we fall sometimes? How do these people fall from the calling, the weight of the calling, the value of the calling? How do they fall? Well, they weren't pursuing Jesus. How does the position, the, the weight of the position outweigh the value of the position. Like, how does somebody rationale the point of, like, I'm going to step into this, even though I know it's wrong and it could cost me the position. I'm going to step into this because I don't value the position as much as I should because I'm pursuing this, where if I was pursuing Jesus, I would understand the weight of the calling. I would understand what it means to be worthy of the calling. And here's what Paul is urging Jesus' followers to do. Lead of life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Meaning this, this doesn't mean we pursue God's favor and blessing. Do you understand that? Like, we don't pursue that. We already have that. You already are blessed and highly favored. And you cannot lose that. No matter how much you sin, no matter how wrong you do in your life, God loves you, He favors you, and you have received His blessing. You have. So we don't work, that's not what worthy of the call means. That we earn his favor and blessing. Here's what it does mean. It means we recognize how much our place in God's favor deserves from us. So we don't work to earn God's favor, but we recognize we are already favored. And that means, okay, there is value. Therefore, there is weight to this. Therefore, this deserves something more from us. Not to earn it, but that we already have received it. And now it, it beckons us and calls us to something more. The, the word calling in the Greek is kaleo, and it means called out. And we have been called to be set apart, a peculiar people. 
We do things differently. We have different priorities than others, moral standards, not better than others because we are all sinners saved by grace, but we have a heavenly standard in which we live our lives by. So we have been called out. So we have been called. This is what Paul is saying. Oh, I'm trying to break it down as best I can. We have been called to be set apart in how we walk in the calling in which God has called us to. Not to earn favor or blessing, but because God's favor and blessing calls us to more and greater. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. To understand the weight and the significance and the impact that our lives were actually created for. So therefore, we don't get the excuse of, uh, I'm just kind of just chilling in life right now. I don't really have a lot of things going on. No, where you are right now, God has called you to something significant, impactful, and great. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, that is your calling. And to live a manner worthy of the calling means to steward that well. So if God saved me, called me, chosen me for something special, I don't want to miss it. What should I do? What am I called to do exactly? Well, here's another thing you need to understand. When God calls you, and if you don't take anything away other than what I'm about to tell you right now from this morning, take this away. He's calling you to a who before he's calling you to a do. He is calling you to a who to become somebody before he's calling you to do something. He's calling you to a who before he's calling you to a do. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, You have been called holy. So, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He has saved us to a holy calling. And because of our works, and not because of our works, but because of, of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You know what's crazy is that, and we talk about this, we've talked about this at our young adult groups um, on Wednesday, that God, God is so incredible and vast and powerful and, and just, he is all worthy. Do you understand that? Like God exists outside of time. And it's this mind-blowing fact that God exists in Genesis currently. And he exists in, in the book of Timothy currently. And he exists in, in our present day and age currently. And he exists at the end times currently. Like he is in all of these places at all times. Like he is not growing old with us. He, ex he is just, you say, Trey, that's unfathomable. If you could put God in a box, he would no longer be God. He is just amazing. He, is, he, he deserves our awe and our wonder. And what he is saying is, he goes, before I, I, you were even thought of on this planet, before your parents were born, before your grandparents were born, before eight generations before you were born, I knew your name, I knew you would, when you would be on this planet, and I had a significant calling for your life. I have called you to be somebody before I have called you to do something. And when God calls us, remember, it starts with the who before the do. I have just a couple thoughts really quick as we move on. First thought is this. Calling is just, so much, is just as much about who you are becoming as it is about what you are doing. And you are called to be holy. Not do holy things, but called to be 
holy. So instead of obsessing over a career, God wants you to focus on who you're called to become. Because if calling is all about doing, right? This is something that is lost in translation and where culture has impacted the church. If calling is all about doing, what happens when you've accomplished what you feel called to do? Well, I just really felt called to be a mom. Now you're a mom. Well, I guess from 28 on, I'm just a bunch of side quests and side missions, and I'm kind of just waiting to die then. Well, I've, I've always felt called to, to do this. Great, you're 35. You've done it. Now what? Is your calling over? Like, are you just now taking up space on this planet? No. Because it is a lifelong journey of becoming somebody. That question I started out, what do you want to be? That's a lifelong question. That's not just questions to kids and to teenagers and to young adults. That is a lifelong question. What do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the healthiest spouse? Those days are behind us. We were healthy way back then when we were in our 20s and 30s, and now we're in our 50s, and we've done it. Now you have been called to be a healthy spousal unit. Is that what you want to be or no? Well, you know, my kids are older, and they've moved out of the house, and I just, that doesn't mean you stopped being a parent. Do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be a good mother? Work to be those things, like become those things. I want to be the, God has called you to be something significant. God has called you to be something amazing. God has called you to be something impactful. And we are on this lifelong journey of becoming. So remember, on the journey, don't get so obsessed about the do's that you forget about the who. That you may be exhausted. Yeah, you're doing a lot, but you may be exhausted. And I'm here to tell you that what you're doing, somebody else can do that tomorrow, but you need to be present in your home. You need to be rested whenever you walk in the door after work. You need to be present. God has called you to be something. So remember, it's more about the who than the do. And calling is just as much as about who you are becoming as it is about what you are currently doing. Second thought is this, calling is more about your faithfulness to Jesus today than it is about what you accomplish in the future. We all have plans. Great, make plans, but hold on to plans loosely and hang on to Jesus tightly. Last week we talked about this, what it means to submit to God and his plans. Here's what it means. Here's what it looks like. It means like this, whenever you break a horse, right? Breaking a horse does not mean taking a sledgehammer and breaking its legs and being like, submit! Breaking a horse means it's when you can get on a horse, grab the reins and steer it wherever you want it to go. To me, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus daily. Yes, I think I should go down this path and I'm, and I'm walking the path, but when my master, when my savior, when my Jesus takes the reins and goes, we're actually going to go this path, I'm going to go, that was my plan, but this is where God is steering me, so I'm going to let go of that desired plan, that desired future, and I'm going to walk towards whatever path, whatever future Jesus is calling me to. And it doesn't mean I know what's over the hill. It doesn't mean I know what's down the hill, in the valley. 
Here's what it means. I am trusting God with every single step I take. God's word does not say it's a spotlight into a future. He says it's a lamp into my feet, meaning he's going to guide my next step and my next step and my next step and my next step. And all I am called to do is to be faithful today. So many of us get so overwhelmed and concerned sometimes. And maybe, maybe you think like this, maybe you don't. But what, what does my life look like 20 years from now that we get so focused on that that we forget to be present in today? And all God has called us to do is just be faithful today. God's word says, hey, listen, tomorrow has its own struggles. It has its own problems. And you know what's even crazy? God's already in tomorrow. He's already there and he's already making provisions for whatever you need and whatever you're walking through. But you're not there. And here's what he is saying. Tomorrow has its own problems. Follow me today. How much anxiety, stress, overwhelming feeling would that relieve from our lives if you laid your head down at night and you Babe, how was your day? Like, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Why? Let's just follow Jesus today. But aren't you stressed about tomorrow? Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. I'm not in tomorrow. Here's where I am. I'm, I'm, I'm in today. And that's all God has called us to be. He's called us to be faithful today. He's called us to be worthy of the calling Today. Sometimes I, uh, with, with young adults or just with people in general, we walk through um, addictions and stuff like that and people become so obsessive over things and they're like, three years from now, I want to be clean. I'm like, I want you to be clean today. And when we get to tomorrow, it's, hey man, like, hey, three years from now, I'm going to be clean. That's great. I want you to be clean today. And next thing you know, just the pattern of faithfulness is built up and you don't have to go looking for the calling. You don't have to go looking for where you're supposed to be. Next thing you know, you just look around and you're like, I'm in it. This is amazing. Be faithful to Jesus today. Be someone who follows Jesus today. Because without Denzel Washington, shout out Denzel. Denzel Washington has this great quote. He says this, without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. Commit to the journey of following Jesus and stay committed today. And tonight, when you lay your head down to go to sleep and you wake up tomorrow morning to a day that was not promised to us, to new blessings and new mercies that we wake up with, that psalm tells us, say, today, Jesus, I'm following you. And the next day, you repeat the process. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Why? Because Following Jesus is not about yearly dedication. It's about a daily decision. So to those of you in the room who are like, January 1st, I made a commitment. We're in church. Hey, it's been three months since I've seen y'all last. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm back, though. It's because yearly dedications don't really matter. It's about daily decisions that make, that make a difference. So follow Jesus today. Calling is more about your faithfulness faithfulness to Jesus today than it is about what you accomplish in the future. And my third and final thought is this. The size of your impact never determines the significance of your impact. This, or sorry, the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. 
We all want to be the CEO. We all want to be in charge. We all want that status. We all want that title. Because with that title comes respect. With that title comes status. With that title comes a little bit of extra dollars in the, in the bank account. With that title maybe comes a new house, new car, with newfound respect. With that title comes all of this. But I'm here to tell you the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. I see this in church a lot, and I know you can't really relate unless you like have grown up in church, or you're like you're you're heavily involved in leadership of the church. You may not understand what I'm talking about, but this is just an example. I have heard countless people, I'm not here, y'all are perfect, right? You, you, never any problems here. Love this place. Perfection, right? This is the perfect church. We've discovered it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, here's but here's what I have found. That people, when they come over from different churches, and I found this at my old church growing up, and I found this here at this church, and again, not maybe, no, I take that back. I haven't found that here. Take that. People coming over, and they're saying, hey, I was in high-level leadership at my own church, at, at the other church, and I expect to be high-level leadership here. Hey, I was the worship leader at my old church, so I don't know what you need to do, but Jesley's gone and I'm in. <laughs> That's just not how things work. I'm like, great. I don't know you. This is the first time we're talking. Show up next Sunday. And then show up the next Sunday. Start serving. Start to become trustworthy. Start to become reliable. No, I want this high-level leadership position today. I've earned it. I don't think you really care about serving the church. I just think you care about the title. <laughs> What's your title at the church? Well, I haven't really been given a title, but I'm just in charge of setting up the chairs. <laughs> Not talking to you. That's what we think, right? Oh, yo, you're a low-level person. No, they're the people that put the seats that way you can sit your butt down and enjoy a service. <laughs> it's significant. Maybe at your job or at your works, at your work, at your offices or whatever. Well, I just have a small role. You have a significant role. Maybe at your house, I, I just have a small assignment. Just you know. No, you have an eternal assignment. You have a significant impact. So understand this: whenever you feel like you're not called to much, but you feel like you're called to something, that something makes a difference. Whenever as a church, when we call you to volunteer in kids' ministry, we, we, we ask you to volunteer with setup. We ask you to volunteer on the worship team. I'm here to tell you, you may be like, but I'm not going to be the head honcho, and I'm here to tell you that may not be what you're called to. But the size of your assignment does not determine the, the impact or the significance of that assignment. There's a story in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28, or starting in verse 28. And here's what's been happening. Jesus has been walking around. He's been teaching. And he's about to walk into this village. And um, we, we know this day as Palm Sunday. If you've grown up in the church, this is the day. And Jesus looks at two of his disciples, the disciples that have been walking around with him. They feel like they've earned a status. Last week, we looked at two disciples who looked at Jesus. And they said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we want you to do for us. That's how they thought of themselves. 
And Jesus looks at these two disciples right before they're about to walk into Jerusalem. And here's how the story goes, starting in verse 28. It says this. And when he had uh, said these things, he had been teaching his disciples, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethlehem, or to um, some town, y'all, I'm reading off of a monitor in the back, and I can barely read it, so bear with me. And Bethany, at the mount that is called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. And when you are entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. And untie it and bring it to me. And bring it here. So here we have Jesus looking at these two disciples, these two individuals who have been following him. They've been, they've been in a, a boat with a storm with him. They've been on near-death experiences with him. They've been, they've been threatened by the religious leaders of the day with him. And he looks at these two disciples and he goes, hey, while the rest of us are sitting up here and I'm going to be having these conversations with them, you two disciples, I want you to go into that small town, find a donkey, and bring it back to me. We're on donkey duty, Jesus. Like, is that really what you've called us to do? Are any of us going to, do you want us to get 12 donkeys? So that way we can, or 13 donkeys, so that way we can all ride into Jerusalem together? No, I want you to grab one. One donkey. I want you to bring it back here. <sighs> okay. So here's what they do. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Great excuse, right? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a great thing to do? I'm just grabbing these water bottles from Publix. So you, you have to pay for those. Uh, God needs these. Walking out, like just grab whatever you want in the name of Jesus. Uh, but you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, went. Sent, or, uh, sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Now we're not going to read the rest of the story, but here's how it goes. Jesus sits on this donkey and as he's entering to Jerusalem, the people see Jesus on a donkey, and they start to throw palm trees at the donkey's feet, so that way the donkey can walk over it. And they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Our Savior is here. And the Pharisees look at Jesus, and they say, renounce what these people are saying. You are not the Savior of the world. And he goes, even if they weren't saying it, I'm here to tell you that the rocks would cry out in worship of who I am. Sorry, it just got really loud up here. I don't know if it was loud up there, out there. But here's what happened. The disciples were a little concerned with who was going to sit on the donkey. Because they thought the size of their assignment determined the significant the, the, the significance of its impact. Whenever Jesus just simply asked, hey, I need you to go down there to that small village and untie a donkey and bring it back to me. And what did it do? This small, seemingly insignificant, dirty, unsexy assignment. Well, the gates of Jerusalem opened 
and it fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament about how Jesus would enter into, the, into Jerusalem. He enters into Jerusalem, and people are saying, Holy Hosanna, our Savior is here. See, the disciples were concerned about who was sitting on the donkey. Sometimes I wonder if that's what we're, we're concerned about. But if I do this in the, and volunteer in the church, if I do this and I step out and I step into my calling, even though it may not be much, I may not receive a ton of, a ton of praise. I might not, I've, I've been serving at this church for three months now, and not once have you called me up on stage so the congregation can applaud my good efforts. Whenever in reality, here's what Scripture teaches us. I don't care why, where I am on the scales of significance, in my opinion, as long as Jesus is on the donkey. Because when Jesus is on the donkey, when Jesus is on the cross, and when Jesus is on the throne, here's what I know. My name and my fame don't mean anything. It's all about him. And it's all about me doing whatever I need to do to be a person who no matter what I am called to, I will do it. To be someone who is humble, to be someone who is patient, to be someone who is loving, to be someone who is kind, to be someone who is humble, to be someone who is, uh, who is thankful. Not so that one day I can sit on the donkey. Not so that one day I can sit on the throne but to help point people to someone who is already there and his name is Jesus. So whatever the size of the assignment is, do it passionately. Do it with integrity. Because you are a called person by the one who gave it all. This is bigger than you and it is much more about the who than the do. You want to find your calling? What do I want to be when I grow up? Start with the who and be faithful to Jesus today. Because again, when it's not about the fame or the name, the status, when it's not about who sits on the donkey, but just making sure that it's Jesus, you won't have to find your calling. Your calling will find you. It will overtake you. Something meaningless becomes meaningful when it's for the one who gave his life for you. So wherever, where, where are you going? So where, where you are going and what you will be doing will be clear when you, are, when you focus on who you are becoming. Where you're going and what you will be doing will become clear when you focus on who you are becoming. Who are you becoming? Not who do you want to be, but who are you becoming right now? What are the patterns in your life? Are you someone who is becoming entitled? Someone who is becoming overwhelmed with the status rather than the Savior? Who are you becoming? And I don't say this to tear down your dreams. I, hear, I, I say this to help, to help understand where we stand in the cosmos. And we are not the center of all creation. It's Jesus. We're not the saviors of the world. It's Jesus. And one day, when we are long gone, 
And in our coffins, our skin is no longer on our bones. It is just a skeleton. You know who will still be the Savior of the world? Not you and not me. His name is Jesus. But understand this, that with that truth in mind, that life is a vapor, he still calls us to a life of significance. A life that makes a difference, a life of impact. So will you walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Not trying to earn his favor or blessing, but understand you already have it. And when you understand you already have it, you understand he deserves more from us. He deserves more than an apathetic life. He deserves more. He deserves more. So let us be people that engage with the calling of God. That engage with his message to seek and to save that which were lost, to redeem all of humanity. What are you called to do? What are you called to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? As long as tomorrow is coming for you, you're becoming something. What do you want to be? If you want to be something different, something better, something that God has called you to do, do you know the definition of insanity? Insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting different results. If you want to be something different than what you are, you got to change some things up. And I implore you, commit to following Jesus. Like Ephesians 3.20 says this, when you accept the calling and you say, I'm in. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm signing up for, but I'm in. And when you understand you are complete in Jesus and that his strength lives within you, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave now lives with you, those who follow Jesus. Now unto him who is able to do incredibly more than all you could ever ask, imagine, dream of, or think of. Now unto him be the glory. Amen. Now therefore, he who is going to do immeasurably more than all you could ever think of or imagine, now therefore, you and me, walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of that calling. And walking worthy of the calling is becoming obsessed with the who before the do. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, I love you and I'm thankful for you. And as we go into this time of worship, time of response, with just, with just a simple anthem, a simple praise about who you are and about what you do. God, I pray that our hearts would be aligned with heaven that you would be at the reins of our lives and that our lives are what you have called us to do is be proclaimers and witnesses of your greatness, of your glory, of your power and of your strength and of your beauty. So God, in this next couple moments, I pray that we would echo heaven with proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of our God. And that when we leave here, the echo would reverberate, would reverb all throughout our communities. 
all throughout our homes, all throughout our, our friend groups, and that this church would be loud, not about our opinions, but about, about our Savior. God, I pray over this congregation. I don't know what you've called them to be, but I feel even right now, and I believe right now, that your Spirit is leading them and guiding them and revealing to them what they're called to be. God, I pray that they would commit to the journey and stay commitment, stay committed and consistent along the path. We love you, we praise you, and we pray all these things, and we worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.